0: Ma 4, you've tuned into Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Or lo Susana Sui Suiki. Coming up on our show...
1: We should have paid much more attention, and we were not ever consulted. As
0: Australia and the UK signs off on a defence deal, Pacific leaders watch from the sidelines. Also...
2: It's come to that stage where companies are now demanding better services.
0: The lack of action from the PNG government forces a local company to shut its doors. Well, for now, and later on what have you done to my house? Surprise my man! We're going to show our pride to the world! A new feature film is bringing Tonga's passion or Mafana to the big screen. A former Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum says Pacific leaders need to sit up and pay closer attention to deals like AUKUS, the Indo-Pacific strategy and China's response to them. Meg Taylor says Pacific leaders are being sidelined in major geopolitical decisions affecting their region, and they need to start raising their voices for the sake of the people. Last week, the UK and Australia signed off on the AUKUS deal, where the Australian government will spend nearly $400 billion New Zealand dollars over the next three decades to buy a fleet of nuclear submarines as part of the new Defence and Security Pact. Chloe Hawkins spoke with Meg Taylor about the ramifications of the deal for Pacific countries.
1: Let's just go back a bit for your, for the listeners in the Pacific and good morning to you, my brothers and sisters across the region. The issue here is that we should have paid much more attention to the Indo-Pacific strategy as it emerged and we were not ever consulted by the countries that are party to that, including um, uh, some of our own members of the Pacific Island Forum. Then the emergence of focus, Pacific countries were never consulted on this either. And with the... Um, Blue Pacific Partners, uh, that's another grouping now, Australia with the United States and the UK in terms of aid issues, uh, they did not consult. So should we be um, concerned about what is happening now with uh, Australia's purchase of submarines being to be constructed in Australia but, you know, under the auspices of AUKUS? I think that the concern for us is that uh, we in the Pacific, particularly those of us who are signatories to the Treaty of Rarotonga, has um, always been committed to the fact that we wanted a place to live where there was no proliferation of nuclear weapons. The debate, I think, that will emerge within the Pacific is our nuclear submarines' weapons. I have not thoroughly gone through the um, the treaty in terms of some of... The, uh, I think it's Article 3 that deals with, with this, um, whether the definition of nuclear subs not carrying weapons um, would still contravene the Treaty of
2: Rarotonga. And
3: the the Australian Prime Minister obviously has, has been at pains to try and talk about them not being able to breach this, but w- we have spoken with a few experts who, who say it is a duty for Pacific to hold them to account and not take that for face
2: value. W- would you agree with that point?
1: I, I would indeed. I would indeed. But the question here for me is how are we going to monitor that? How are we going to know what... Um, if there are ever any nuclear weapons on uh, these nuclear submarines, and the question for me, just as an ordinary citizen, well, if you've got nuclear submarines, what are you carrying? And I think a lot of people in the public would ask ask that question: that um, do I define a nuclear submarine as a, as a weapon? And if if the government, whichever government uh, is carrying these, that ha- that owns these submarines, um, says, well, we're not carrying nuclear warheads, then what's the purpose of the submarine? Now it's been interesting the debate in Australia over the last day, particularly the reasons for this. That huh? it's more about uh, ensuring that their trade routes are protected, and all of you in the Pacific know how much what a busy sea lane we have across the Pacific and north south as well. Through um, my own home country, past past our islands, we have very busy traffic with the trade routes going into Asia and, and to China, and that this is part of the protection of this. I think the Australian public will be very interested in in discussing this, and I'm sure there will be people who are for this and people who are against it.
3: Yes, one of the other other discussions around this is is Australia at, and um, the AUKUS partners sort of talking themselves into a war with China with, with the policy direction and the
2: decision to go down this path.
1: I think the um, China is seen as a, is seen a, as an aggressor and that it takes, has taken a, an aggressive stance in Southeast Asia, particularly you know, its declaration of um, over the South China Sea yeah? <laughs> and asserting sovereignty over that area. That has been, I think, uh, a big red flag to countries like the United States and and to Australia um, and to the Southeast Asian countries. But it's really interesting how ASEAN has come out very clearly that they will take... Um, a neutral position on all this. The Pacific Island Forum, uh, I would urge that we are paying much greater attention to what is going on and not waiting for Australia to be briefing us. And I understand there were, well, this is what I read anyway, that there was uh, about 60 telephone calls from Canberra to other parts of the Pacific to counterparts to um, inform them of of the situation and what it meant. And um, we should be, I, I am appreciative of that. However, I think it would have really been helpful to have very in-depth discussions with the Pacific uh, long before all this has happened.
0: The Lay Biscuit Company in Papua New Guinea has briefly shut its doors because of government inaction over the economy. It wants to produce its own solar power but is stymied by laws that ban factories from producing their own power. Lay biscuit is angry with the constant power outages by PNG Power and sees solar power as cheaper and more reliable, allowing them to market their green credentials. Don Wiseman spoke to RNZ Pacific's correspondent in PNG, Scott Whitey, about the issues facing Lay biscuit and an effort by the government to get on the front foot.
2: It's, it's surprising that it's a big deal given that the PNG power is very inefficient and I think it's it's come to that stage where companies are now demanding better services or an alternative as as uh, lay Biscuit has said now the problem with that is that the PNG power uh, has restrictions as to where alternative power sources can be placed where it grids run so that's that's the sticky issue that uh, Leigh Biscuit has to deal with, with the government and PNG power. I've just spoken to the deputy prime minister and the uh, member for Lay. He says the uh, next week he's invited the uh, state enterprises minister, William Duma, and a delegation to late to have the, those discussions with the business houses on alternatives going forward. And a lot of other businesses are supporting this call because it's just simply driving the cost of doing business up.
4: We'll come to that in a minute, but can we just we'll just step back for a moment and tell us about yep. the power outages with this company, with PNG Power, that have been going on for, well, as long as I can remember.
2: It's become very problematic in the last 10 years. Uh, and one of the primary reasons is because of, of the aging equipment. Now, the infrastructure was put in place, you know, in the 60s. There were upgrades in the early, late 80s towards the 90s and there's been like ad hoc inclusions into the power grid uh, like diesel power stations that supply power to the company png power pays for it but that hasn't been able to uh, resolve the problems of long drawn-out blackouts uh, frequent power outages and the other problem that also compounds this power blackout and the energy shortage is the unions themselves it's successive managements have had difficulty dealing with the unions uh, who've been, I guess, a large stumbling block for progress.
4: It just seems absolutely remarkable in a country that's very often bathed in very warm sunshine that it hasn't been able to embrace solar power more.
2: Uh, I guess the. Government policies haven't really focused on harnessing solar energies. Like it's encouraged on a smaller scale for rural power options, but on a large scale, that hasn't been a focused priority for government. And now that we've gone through this ongoing power outages and the high costs of doing business, it's come to that stage where businesses are now demanding an option. Uh, and, And solar seems to be the one that they're looking towards because I guess it's easier to install and manage on their own
4: and i guess the irony is that despite all these advantages png power has continued to make a mess of things and owes gazillions of dollars all over the country
2: yes it's it's a company that is uh, like every other soe that struggles with debt and it hasn't really been able to sort out its management issues we've had chief executives uh, heads of the company come and go and and it keeps happening nothing seems to be resolved there. So that's added to the you know long-term strategy and its ability to solve its problems long-term.
4: So the Lay Biscuit company, it may get some good news this coming week. How confident are they that they will be allowed to go ahead and produce their own solar?
2: Well, look at it this way. Lay Biscuit is a fixture in Lay City and more of a province. And, and in Papua New Guinea. So it has about 2,000, three, uh, close to 3,000 employees. And for Lay Biscuit to shut down for three weeks, that has sent ripples of panic throughout the business community and throughout the country. So it's an important stakeholder in Lay City and particularly in the supply of manufactured goods, manufactured food. So it has a relatively loud voice when it comes to being a representative of the business community and being one of the largest employers in Papua New Guinea. And having The Deputy Prime Minister come with a high-level delegation to speak with the business community and and particularly Lay Biscuits is significant and I'm hoping that a path will be forged forward given that they've spoken out on behalf of the business community.
0: A film about die-hard Tongan rugby fans will have its world premiere this Wednesday. Called Red, White and Brass, the comedy is set during the 2011 Rugby World Cup inspired by a true story. It follows a group of Tongan fans who form a pre-game brass band in a desperate attempt to get tickets. It's New Zealand Samoan director Damon Fepulia'i's first feature film. Damon spoke to RMD Pacific's female Funua about what it took to make a heartwarming and uplifting tale.
4: So this movie, could you describe your inspiration from making it? How did you choose this story?
3: Uh, yeah, this this one was... um I... Was approached by a company called Picky Films and two of the producers there, Kafu uh, Neal and Morgan Waru, um, who had worked with before. They had the script that was um, they were working on, and they and that was from Noah uh, Finau, who was the, the it's basically his, it's his story, like a based on his like his true life story. So they brought. The idea to me or pitched it to me and said oh would you be interested in like um helping to uh, write the film just to, to get it in for um to turn it into a script and then if we got and then uh, to direct it as well so that was kind of how i came on board at the beginning
4: is it true that this is your film debut
3: uh yes yeah, so this is the this is my first time feature film so um, I've worked in television for probably about 25 years, just doing different different things, documentaries, music videos, um, comedy, drama, all kinds of things. And I'd sort of been working on trying to, like, um, writing scripts for a film, but this is the first one that I've ever actually got to direct. So, yeah, my first time directing a feature film. And what's that like? <laughs> uh, it's pretty surreal. Like, it's... It's kind of buzzy at the moment because it's um, just because it's we've sp- we spent so long. Well, I guess the process of making it was quite long. Like we had like a uh, probably had spent maybe a year, year and a half uh, writing it and then getting ready and then then filming it. And because the filming happened uh, during COVID times, we actually we had to stop filming and then start again. So the filming took ages, and then the post production process happened. And then there was also like, once we'd finished the film, there's sort of like a nine month wait before it actually has come out. So, um, it was all like this massive journey. And then now we're waiting for the film you know, the film coming out on the, on the 23rd of March. And it's just like, um, now it's like the exciting kind of time. So, uh, yeah, after all the waiting, we're, we're finally getting it out. So I think, you know, just for, because it's my first, first time feature film that, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting.
4: I was watching the Oscars a few days ago. I don't know if you are watching, but having... I saw
3: highlights, but not the whole
4: thing. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I didn't watch the whole thing right off. <laughs> but, but you had the first Asian actress win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee yourself there in a few years? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, I don't know. To be honest, I'm not sure... I mean, if I did, it would be a long way away. But, um, I mean, I guess it's um, – yeah, I, I guess because with the Oscars, it's one of those things where I think people kind of sometimes get a little bit like, ah, you know, it's just Hollywood, just people who are kind of congratulating themselves. But then, actually, when you when you see those speeches, especially, like, for those actors who uh, – those Asian actors, and how important it is to see them succeed, it's like, oh, yeah, man. You know, it's like it is – a great aspirational thing to just be like, oh yeah, I think, you know, one day I could, you know, I, I could, that sort of thing could happen to me. I don't know if it'll happen to me, but it's like it's <laughs> at least it's, um, you know, it's something to aspire to. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I think for me it's just like, oh, I just enjoy making things that, um, for me it's kind of about making things that I hope that people will, will enjoy, like, um, you know, making films that, like, I think, especially for this film, it's like something that it's a film that anyone can go see and enjoy. Like, it's it's not like, um, I guess, not even the sort of film that would potentially even win at the Oscars. But at the same time, it's one that I think, you know, people could go to, like, you could take the kids to go see it or you could take aunties and grandparents to go see it as well. So, yeah, I think for me,
4: that's the main thing. is just that, you know, making the films that everyone can enjoy. As a Pacific director, there are not many out there. Um, can you describe why you think that is?
3: Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one because I guess, I think that's changing, which is good. And there are, there's sort of a few, few of us specific directors who have been around for a while, but there's a lot of, I think, hopefully there's a lot coming through. Like I think, especially in the last few years, I've been on a lot of projects where it's just like, you can see the new, that next generation of talent coming through. And I think, Part of, like with this film and I think with a lot of the other projects that are coming through, it's kind of more about Pacific people being the ones to tell the Pacific stories. So, whereas I think the cases, uh, for a long time, the cases, a lot of the time, has just been non-Pacific directors or producers or writers making these telling Pacific stories. So, I feel like there's sort of, you know, that change is happening and there will be the young people who are making things who are starting now will you know in five ten years there'll be like a lot more specific directors coming through and I, and I think that's across the board it's kind of like oh there's a lot more you know there's there's more of a movement for like female directors as well and um like people have, yeah just more diversity really um coming through and the people that are that are directing and the, the, the people who are kind of in charge of telling the stories
0: that's Pacific Ways for today. Remember you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcast. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. lover Manuele Bayasu.